Okay, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Okay, appears our mic is working, so hopefully that will continue. I'll tell you, I'll tell you after. <laughs> um, okay, so if you want to turn, we're going to go to um, John chapter 10, verse... Uh, we're going to start in verse 22, and um, I guess if we, we had a title for this, it would be Yeshua's Hanukkah Message, because this week is Hanukkah, uh, we're kind of in the middle of it here, and um, there's some de- debate in the Messianic world as to whether or not you know we should celebrate Hanukkah or not, um, being that it was not originally one of the celebrated holidays and festivals that is spoken of in the Torah. Um, but Yeshua went up, as we're going to see, to uh, the temple during the, the festival of Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. And that's what uh, Hanukkah mean. it means. It means dedication. And, you know, I, I don't know that it was so much of a, a holiday festival as maybe it is now, as it was, as it, it is now, as it was then, or vice versa. Um, because up until, as far as I can tell, the really the early 1900s, it was a pretty minor holiday. You know, it was actually what it being turned into more of a bigger holiday was actually in a response to Christmas, because the poor little Jewish boys and girls were left out, and so they started. You know, making it a bigger deal. The menorah and the light um, uh, and the, the oil and all that burning for eight days is, is mythology. It's, you know, there's really no historical basis for that. Um, most people relate the eight days of the festival to a few things possibly. Nobody really knows exactly for sure. But one is, you know, it took them a, a period of time to purify the temple. And purification took... Um, <coughs> Seven days, and on the eighth day, you'd be clean. And then also, some people think that because they weren't able to celebrate, um, they weren't able to celebrate Sukkot that year, that they celebrated it later on, and Sukkot's an eight-day celebration. And so that's another possible thought as to, um, you know, the origins of the eight days. But we don't really know for sure. But either way, um, I think it's a holiday worth remembering. Um, and... Uh, remembering in our homes for what happened with the Maccabees because basically they were a family that chose to uh, stand up against an an authoritarian dictator regime over them that was trying to keep them from obeying the Torah and keep them from obeying God. And they said, no, we're not going to do that and we're going to fight back. And I I admire that because... um, we live in a day and age now, at least currently, where we are able to freely worship and freely um, uh, live according to the Torah. Um, but that may not always be the case, and it certainly hasn't always been the case for God's people. And so um, it's something worth remembering. It's worth reading the story. But what I want to focus on today is um, what Yeshua talks about during the Feast of uh, Dedication when he's up in the, the temple. And because really, um, it's really kind of the whole story of sal- 
or st story, if you want to call it. It's really all about salvation, really is what it's all about, which is pretty cool to me. You have the light of the world in the temple during the festival of lights, trying to spread the light of God. And only those who are his sheep respond to his message. And so we're going to read that, and then depending on how long we go, might go into Psalm 119. I've been reading through the Psalms recently, and um, there's a one section of uh, Psalm 119 that's just so good and um, ties into it, I think. So before we start, let's, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, for your word, for the truth of it, for this festival of Hanukkah the dedication of the, t of the temple, and uh, I pray that we would reflect this time on our own lives and rededicate maybe our own uh, temple, our bodies, and our lives to you, that we would shine forth as a light of truth, uh, for your word is light and your word is truth, and that we would uh, project that and shine that forth and that people would see that, not hide it. And but declare it. And that's what Yeshua was doing here. As we're going to read in John, he was in the temple, the light of the world, declaring your word and declaring your light. And those who were in the darkness did not comprehend it. And um, so I just pray that you would uh, speak to us and teach us with your word and help us to change our lives and, and uh, all that we do to reflect you more. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so go to John 10, 22. Um, We'll, go, we'll read it, and then we'll kind of go back through it and, and talk about it. It's not real long here. So, all right, John 10, verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Yeshua walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Yeshua answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe me not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave me, them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Yeshua answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? Then the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Yeshua answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, Ye are gods? And if he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, Thou blasphemest, because, I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand." And went away again beyond the Jordan into the place where John was first baptized. John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. 
and many believed on him there. Yeah, they're such good. I mean, he just doesn't miss any words, and they pick up stones to stone him. Interestingly, this may or may not be true, but um, uh, it makes sense to it makes sense as much as my limited knowledge goes. So he's walking around on temp on the Temple Mount there in Solomon's porch, and he says all this stuff, and they pick up stones to stone him. Well, what? There weren't just like rocks lying around up there. It wasn't like, you know, you had fist-sized stones that you could just readily pick up whenever you felt like stoning somebody. So people have speculated where in the world, what were these rocks? Well, after the altar was desecrated during uh, the time of the Maccabees, they, they, it was desecrated and so they... Uh, when they built a new altar, they didn't know what to do with the stones of the altar that had been desecrated. So they just set them to the side up there and made a pile of them. And many people think that it was these very stones that they picked up to stone him with, which I think is pretty fascinating. So it's like, here you have the Messiah shining as a light in the temple during the Feast of Hanukkah, and those stones that were desecrated are the very ones they want to pick up and stone him with. You know, it's like, to me, it shows, you know, whose example and whose children were these guys that wanted to stone him. Those that were those, the ones that desecrated the, because they were the ones who desec- were desecrating the temple by uh, wanting to stone him and, and break the Torah. So it's really cool. So he's up there, he's walking around, and they come up to him in verse 24, and they say, How long do you make us in doubt? If thou believe, if thou be the Messiah, tell us plainly. So, so the Jews ask him if he's the Messiah, which is interesting because they there was it was a very messianic feeling going on at the time. Many people were expecting to see the Messiah. They uh, there was the birth pains of the Messiah going on, and so it was expected that he was going to become becoming. And it was not just among those who believed and had faith in the Messiah and in God and in his Messiah, but those who, who were unbelievers, which were these, these Jews, apparently. And so he does all these works, miracles, uh, I mean, things that only the Messiah could do and would do, and they spoke of who he was and his mission on earth and uh, to save sinners and come and to redeem them. And, and all these things, these proofs that he did, uh, were proved that he was the Messiah, but they, there was really nothing he could do to make these people believe. It wouldn't matter if he had called down fire. It wouldn't matter if he raised another person from the dead. It wouldn't matter if he healed another person, made eyes for another person, um, or gave him another, you know, beautiful pontificating speech. They, their hearts were hardened because they did not know him. And so he says to him, I told you and you believed not. So we already told them he was the Messiah is what he's saying. And one of the reasons why Bible critics hate the book of John uh, and, and say that it is just one of the most out there whacked ones is because it speaks so clearly of who and what Yeshua was as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as you know, deity and, and what he did, and so they hate that, just like those who attack him here hate what he said about himself and what he did. And so he says, I told them, the works that I do in my father's name, that means in his father, in God's authority, 
they bear witness of me. So what he did when he was walking on earth, they, they proved, they bore witness, they spoke in behalf of who he said he was and demonstrated that he said he was. And so they weren't looking for an answer. They, they didn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a question they were asking for an answer. They were just looking for an excuse to get rid of him is all that they wanted. Because if you go on later in John, you get into um, uh, you get into verse uh, chapter eleven. And it says, "If we let him al- thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation." But so the, I'm in forty eight, eleven forty eight, verse forty nine, and one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, "Ye know nothing at all." Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this he spake not of himself, being high priest that year. He prophesied that Yeshua would die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) I find it so fascinating that it was exactly what they... He was exactly what they feared he was. And, uh, and, the, and the unbelieving high priest prophesied, apparently, which always blows my mind, uh, exactly what he was. It was more expedient that one man should die for the nation. So uh, it, it was exactly what he was as the Messiah. One man was put for instead of the nation to die on their behalf and to take that which really they deserved. Because the penalty of sin is death. And that can only be fulfilled. And that uh, penalty can only be covered by God himself. That's why he had to come in the flesh, lay down his life, and die. So that we didn't have to. It's just beautiful. So he's up there. It doesn't matter what he would have told him. And so Yeshua said, I told you, and you believe not. And the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. And my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So they do not believe, because they are not of his sheep. So they're not his sheep, they don't hear him, and it doesn't matter what he says. So there's, there's, there's these few points, you know, they don't believe, first off, they don't recognize who he says he is. They don't know him, which means they're not born again, because that word to know is a sexual term, means the depositing of seed. And so they do, they do not know him, and he does not know them. And so they do not respond appropriately as a son and a child would. So they don't, so it doesn't matter what he says, they are not going to listen to him. But his, so he says, uh, my sheep hear my voice. So what, what's the difference? Well, those who do believe, this real sheep, the true sheep, those believers who know him and he knows them, they, there is fruit. They hear his voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So he knows them. That's a picture of salvation. They hear his voice, the word, they, they, they hear it, 
They follow him, they obey, and they have eternal life, which is the result of salvation. So he's saying, you guys aren't saved. You guys aren't believers. You're not born again. You're going to hell. You know, which, which we don't hear too much of that anymore. You know, in our churches and, and, and pulpits and messianic movements, you know, we don't, we don't get told about salvation as, anymore like we should. You know, it needs to be put back into, into what, what gets taught. And so, true salvation is someone who knows God. And so, there is fruit in the life of the believer. And they hear his voice. There's going to be a transformation in the heart and life of someone who believes. And they're going to want to study and know his word. They're going to want to do it and know it so they can implement it. So that they can follow him. So you have to have, you have to be born again. You have to have the seed within you. Because, you know, if you just think about what in the world does it mean to be born again? Well, what does it mean when you're born? Mom and dad come together and we all know what happens there. And a new life is created. There's a new spirit and there's a new body with new inclinations and desires, which then result in actions. So when we are saved and born again and we trust God and he knows us, he puts his seed in us and a new man is born forth within us. And that new man, which is Yeshua, because we are conformed to him, has new desires, new actions, new intents, and a different will, which wars against still our flesh because we're not fully transformed yet. But we have this new man that is born forth within us, and they hear the voice of God, which is his word, and they walk it out and they do it. And if you're listening to my voice on this audio thing, and if, if, if there is nothing changed within your heart and your life and your spirit that makes you want to live and obey, hear his voice and follow him, then you got to wonder if you got the seed in you because the son resides in the house and obeys. The, those who are not the children get kicked out. Every tree that he did not plant, he uproots. And he casts it, casts it into the fire. So, he knows them, they hear his voice, and they follow him. And they have eternal life. They have the results. And then what's cool is no man can pluck them out of his hand. I think that's cool. There's, there's been a lot. I just, you sent me, Dad, that sermon of uh, Spurgeon who um, he talks about how, and it's just exactly right, he, what's going on here. And I've heard it said from other people who, who, claim to be believers, but they'll say they don't know if they're saved. And they, and they question whether or not they've been saved. I don't question whether I was born. You know, none of us do. And, and what I thought Spurgeon said in that message was really good. The transformation process for each individual person of being born might be different. One, it might be, bam, you know, big moment. Another may be a gradual process as the sun rises up and goes from night unto day and it's a gradual transforming and they can't think back of a perfect day but they know they have been born as a, trans, as a day and the sun rises as a son of God. You know, it's that dramatic for them just like one who has a certain moment in time where they've been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into light. 
But they know they've been saved. So to, to question if you've been saved or not, we shouldn't even, that shouldn't cross our minds. And if it does, it's because we don't fully understand his word yet. And it's not been fully, uh, fully revealed and, and, and brought forth into our heart and our mind and our soul such that we have confidence in, in our Messiah. And so if you don't have that, then you need to get into the Word of God and you need to come before God and, and either accept Him into your life and believe or regain that confidence that you maybe never got because you stayed an infant in Him and have not matured and grown to a point where, you know, when a baby is first born, all they do is, you know, they just want to eat, you know. But eventually you can talk with them and reason with them and direct them and guide them. And so it is in the life of a believer. And so we have to know because nobody can pluck us out of God's hand. If we are truly born again and we are His children not, not a friggin' thing can change that. There I go with my swear words. <laughs> but nothing can change it. You know, it's sure. And God, you know, if I didn't have that confidence, I don't know what I would do because there's a lot of horrible, dark stuff out in this world. You know, I go out and all my different myriad of climates and climates, clients, uh, and, um, you know, sad to say, some of them are are following the devil. You know, pagan, demon worshiping. You know, you name it. Um, what am I looking for? Sorcery stuff. You know, mediums, talking to you know, channeling, whatever. You know, it's all out there that you deal with. But but I am a child of God and protected. I'm in the palm of His hand, and none of that can touch me. And we have to know that. We have to be sure of that because. Um, you know, we stand as light, and the light drives out the darkness. That's why they didn't like Elishua. So, all right, keep going here. Verse 30, Ah, and then he he puts the final nail in the coffin. I and my father are one. (laughs) So he's saying right there, uh, unequivocally, and that's why they pick up stones and stone him, I and my father are one. I'm the Messiah. God made flesh come down that's me you know he's claiming to be the messiah so they take up stones to stone him you know i find that so fascinating what is their reaction they want to kill him which is the same uh pattern all through the bible you know what do they want to do they want to kill moses they want to kill aaron you know they want to kill the prophets those who represent and speak on behalf of god um don't be surprised if it's not any different for us so he, they say, they say um, so, um, and he, so he says, uh, what good works have I showed you from my father, uh, have I showed you from my father, and for which of those works do you stone me? So he's saying, you have no case, you have no reason, you're not justified to be able to stone me, they're, they're the, you know, I have not done anything wrong to justify that. And so they say, not for any of the good works, but because you make yourself according to God and you blaspheme. But Yeshua turns it around on them and uses scripture to uh, show them their error. And so that those passages get a little wordy there. Um, he says, um, Yeshua said unto them, verse 34, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? And if he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, so talking about those who are, you know, unto everyone who the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, Say of him, 
uh, whom the Father has sanctified, him being Yeshua, whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest. So they're saying, so so they're saying about Yeshua, you're blaspheming because he said, I am the Son of God. In other words, he's using the scripture against them, saying, God already called all of us God, so you're going to stone me for saying, I'm the Son of God? You know, I'm God? Um, which is is interesting because on one level you have you know he's making almost like a court case where their their argument's not going to hold up even though he understands and they understands that's not really what he was saying he was saying he's the messiah and they understand that and um so verse 37 if i do not the works of my father believe me not so he's saying, if I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works that you may know and believe. There's those words again, knowing, born again, and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. You know, how did that work? Here he's probably surrounded by guys with stones, and then he just like, you know, turns away and walks around, maybe, walks away, maybe, I don't know. But then they go, he goes away into the wilderness where John first baptized, and there he abode, and many resorted unto him. I like that word, resorted. I, you know, you think of a resort, and um, they resorted unto him. Because <laughs> it would be a refreshing. And they said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spoke of this man were true, and many believed on him there. And so it's just a beautiful story. So where he really lays out salvation, what it means, who he is, how his sheep react those who follow him, those who are not his sheep. They're, they're of a different fold. And um, that he will bring the two to be one. And um, it's just a wonderful, um, wonderful passage. Yeah, go ahead. Did they have the legal right to just up and stone him right then? No, no, they didn't. <laughs> they're mad at him and then, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah, right, no, yeah, exactly. No, they did not have the, they could not, um, there had to be witnesses and you had to still go before the Sanhedrin to have a just case for which to stone someone. It wasn't just like all of a sudden you could put stones randomly wherever and stones, which is what they were going to do exactly. So they didn't have a legal case. And, uh, and that's what his point was. You know, you guys aren't operating according to the Torah. Was the high priest there with them? Uh, it doesn't appear to be. I, I, I doubt he was out just milling around. Because, um, you know, he had to stay clean all the time. And so, all right, so let's go to Psalm 119. And um, we'll cover that real quickly. So verse uh, 119, verse 33, and um, 33 through 40. So this is a psalm written by David, and it's just an incredible, incredible psalm. Every time I read it, it's just so... Awesome. You know, and I was thinking about, as I was reading through it again today, um, you know, you, verses like 160, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. You know, so this idea of, you get people who say, well, the Torah didn't even, wasn't until Moses wrote it down. Well, that's not true. His word is true from the beginning. Yeshua was from the beginning. And every, every one 
of his righteous judgments endureth forever. So those who say, oh, well, you know, that was done away with. We don't have to do that anymore. You know, that contradicts the testimony of Scripture beginning to end. Every one of his righteous judgments is true and forever. And it has to be, because otherwise God would change and we'd all be consumed. And uh, he doesn't change. And it all works together. There isn't two entities, the church and Israel, or the Jews. You know, there is always Israel. The church, it's a misnomer. That Really, the church is uh, the word that we use in our New Testament for believing Israel. Those who believed in Yeshua as their Messiah, which were grafted into Israel. And so there's always been this remnant from beginning to end. And that's what the church is. Because we're told in one place, the church was in the wilderness. <laughs> All right, so Psalm 119, verse 33. This is Psalm written by David. Talking about what struck me about it is someone who, he's obviously a believer. He's saved. He has the spirit of God in him. Yet he, he prays and speaks and sings these words unto God. And I just want to highlight some of the, the things that it says here. So we'll read it and then we'll cover it. 33. Teach me, O Yehovah, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy Torah. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Establish thy word unto thy servant, who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach, which I fear, for thy judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. I like that word, quicken. Um, it's in uh, 40 and also in... <clears throat> so quicken, quicken me in thy righteousness, verse 40, verse 37. Quicken thou me in the way. The, to, to quick, like, um, you know, you take a green branch and you, you take a knife and peel it back and you see the quick. Or like if you uh, are clipping a dog's nails or trimming horse hooves like I do and you hit the quick, which you should never do. But th- that it's the life. It's that... It's that which gives life. So, so when someone says quicken, it means, you know, give me life. Give me the sustenance. You know, give me, animate me. You know, make it happen. So when it says, um, quicken thou me in the, thy way. Give me life. Animate me. Sustain me in thy way. Quicken me in thy righteousness. You know, give me life. Make it happen. Sustain. Give energy. All those things with the quick provides the blood. So what what I what I first when I was reading this and what I like about it we have these these words thirty uh, uh, little phrases in each of the verses teach me O Yehovah the way of thy statutes give me understanding make me go in the path of thy righteous commandments incline my heart turn away mine eyes so what was kind of it was it was. Uh, comforting, I guess, in a way for me to, to read this. And so here's David, a man of God, a man after God's own heart, does terrible wrong things. You know, somebody who, you know, in this day and age, we probably would have written him off, really. But 
he was uh, a servant of God and God loved him and made a special covenant with him. But even David, and, and it, it, again, like I said, comforted me that David saying, teach me, O Yehovah, the way of thy statutes. You know, he needed something more than just an academic understanding that any old Tom, Dick, and Shlomo could pick up their Bible and read it. Something that had to, had to quicken him. Some, the, blood, the life had to come and flow to, to teach him the way of thy statutes. And if, and if God would do that in his life, then he can keep it to the end. But of his own strength, he's just not capable. And so he needs this extra power, this life that only comes from God. Then he says, 34, give me understanding. So he's asking God, teach me. And then give me understanding and I shall keep thy law and shall observe it with my whole heart. But I need to be taught. I need to be given understanding, something that only God can do for me. And then 35, because I've always thought, you know, I you know, would pray, please, God, help me to be good, you know, and do what's right. And, and so, and David's saying the same thing. Make me go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight, you know. So even though we are born again, we're transformed, we have a new man in us, you know, we still stumble because you know, we're dealing with this fleshly inclination. So he's asking God to quicken him and give him life and incline his heart, make him go. You know, so I just, I don't know, I thought that was just so awesome. You know, so he's asking God to make him go in the path of his commandments. You know, just like I said, you know, I ask God, oh, please, God, help me, which, you know, I, in times I've felt guilty. It's like, why am I even asking? It's like, I know what's right, and, you know, why don't I do it? And, and um, you know, struggle all the time, kind of like Paul was talking about. But even David yearns out, make me go. You know, something that has to come from more than just what's in his mortal desire. He needs something from the Spirit and the life of God to change him. Oh, and it's just so encouraging. And then he says, incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. And 37, turn away my eyes from beholding vanity and establish thou me in thy way. And I think it's this kind of incremental building up. So you have, he's saying, God, teach me in 33. Instruct me, you know. 34, give me understanding. Help me to understand it and comprehend it. And then, and then to the physical, the fleshing out from what I've been taught and I understand, make me walk in it, make me go in the path of thy commandments. And then when it gets hard and I struggle, change my heart, incline my heart into thy testimonies. And for 37, then my eyes I know are going to be a big problem, so keep them from beholding vanity. And then 37, establish thy word unto thy servant. You know, keep it us established in the rock of his word that we may maintain a steady course, you know, because we're always wavering. At least I feel like I am. <laughs> and then 39, turn away my reproach, which I fear, for thy judgments are good, because we know because of our failings there's going to be reproach, but we're asking God to forgive anyway. And then he kind of ends in 30 or 40, Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me. Give me life in thy righteousness. So this is the, the cry and the heart and the inclination of a man who's born again. 
You know, so is this what's in us and is this what's in our heart? You know, are we uh, hearing the voice, hearing the word and trying to follow him? You know, David was. Is, is that same, is this what's happening in us? It needs to be. And if it's not and you're unsure if you're saved, there's a problem. There's, that's a problem. And you need to look deep within yourself and you need to come before God, humble yourself and get on your knees and cry out to him and study his word. And, uh, and be changed. So anyway, Amen. let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word, these psalms, and uh, for uh, the message that Yeshua had for us, uh, for this Hanukkah of, of salvation and light and his truth, and that he came to uh, you know, teach and instruct and guide his sheep. And then these words of David, you know, uh, that, I, that, that I feel are mine and could be all of ours, you know, asking you to instruct us and to guide us and to teach us and make us sure and incline our heart and turn away our eyes from beholding vanity. So give us uh, today, God, these things. Make us go in thy paths and lead us into righteousness and transform us that we may um, be a light for you, uh, that we would be a people prepared for you to come back to, to use and to rebuild your temple of praise. Help us just to uh, purify our own temples and to be a light and uh, that you would work in and through us and instruct us with your word and uh, give us a good rest of Shabbat and a wonderful week. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.